Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the weekly racing roundup for January 14th, 2024. I'm your host, Race Car Dave. This week, we're going to be taking a look at Formula E down in Mexico City for the Mexico City E Prix. We're also going to be taking a look back in at the folks at the Dakar. They're still going down there in the desert in Saudi Arabia. And at the end of the show, we're going to try a new segment, News You Can or Cannot Use in News or Fluffy Garbage. First up, top of the order, we've got Formula E. All right, we were down in Mexico City at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez for the round one of the E-Pre World Championship. Uh, this is the same track they use for the Formula One race, although it's been modified and abridged a little bit to suit the cars a little bit better. Uh, Formula E, they like to get all their show done in one day, so we had qualifying and the race on the same day, and I'll be honest, this is the first time I actually sat through an FE qualifying session. It ended up being a pretty good show, I have to admit. They kind of do a multi-stage, they have two groups run at the beginning, and then they take the top four from each one of those groups, and then they do like a like a kaiju drift battle style uh, qualifying session where they go head-to-head, -head. so it's like knockout qualifying. Uh, definitely interesting packaging for TV. I'm not sure that it, the knockouts were always the most compelling viewing, but again, I think this series, it, since they don't have a long history, they're willing to try things that other series that have been around for a long time aren't willing to mess around with. And it's good to see someone messing with the traditional format. I have to say, while I was watching qualifying, I got, got the feeling that in the modern age of racing, when everyone wants to talk about, say, Formula One or IndyCar, like, let's take all the downforce away and give them the power. Well, if you really look at the numbers, these cars produce bugger-all downforce, and they're on street tires, so they don't have a horrible amount of grip. What, what you do see is drivers actually having to drive the car. They did look very on edge entering the corner, and then uh, there was a very long sweeping corner going back out onto the front straight, and they were skating and shuffling through that last corner. Uh, at least individually, it was very interesting to watch. Um, the big thing from qualifying is that last year's champion, Jake Dennis, did not make the knockout round. So he ended up qualifying all the way down in 14th. This is the guy that won the race last year. He um, was looking, you know, coming into the season with a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, anticipation and getting ready to get a good result, but it did not start out well for him at all. He started the race down in 14th out of 20. Uh, our pole sitter ended up being uh, Pascal Verline, uh, ex-Formula One driver and goatee enthusiast. Uh, he and Buemi, uh, he and Buemi were the uh, front row, and then Gunther for Maserati was in third, and then Cassidy was in fourth in the first of the Jaguars. On to the race. The uh, race itself, it, 
again, I haven't watched a bajillion Formula E races, but I kind of sat down and wanted to take it all in. First off, the the way they start, they don't do a formation lap. They basically do a giant 20-person NHRA-style burnout contest and then move up exactly one grid position, which makes for the interesting phenomenon of the 20 cars sitting in a giant cloud of smoke <laughs> no one can see. Uh, so they actually have to sit and let the smoke clear from the grid. After that, we had the lights. It's kind of like if you're watching a regular Formula One race or whatever. Lights went out. All the cars went rushing down in the first corner. I admit I was concerned the way they have reconfigured corner one at uh, Mexico City. It's It really closes up on the exit. So uh, props to all the drivers for making it through that first turn well and keeping it neat and tidy. But basically, we, we left the grid kind of in the running order as it stood. Uh, the first phase of the race up until the uh, there was a caution at lap 11, but the first phase of the race showed the drivers uh, interacting with the attack mode function of Formula E. Basically, uh, as I was watching it, they, they have a section where they have to go offline, and when they go offline, they get an additional basically 70 horsepower to use for a specific amount of time. Uh, you could split it up however you want. I think it's eight minutes total. You could do it as two minutes and six, or six and two, or four and four. I believe that's how it works. The way it's sold is as an attack mode, but realistically the way it plays out, it's more like a joker lap at a rallycross race because it forces the drivers to go offline. They tend to lose a position or two, and I don't think other than maybe one or two guys a little bit further down in the field that uh, I actually saw anybody attacking with attack mode. Interesting thing to note early on in the race, Dennis, uh, the current world champion, started down at 14th, but he opted to not use any of the attack mode through the whole first phase of the race. Uh, what that did is it Basically, every time somebody went out and picked up attack mode, he'd pick up a position or two. Uh, that kind of allowed him to move up through the grid as the race was going. And then after that initial attack mode phase where everybody was scurrying to, to get their required two passes through the attack mode done, he managed to get up from 14th all the way up into 17th. Like I said, there was a kind of a caution about a third of the way into the race. Uh, friends, for, friends for Envision Racing went ahead and stuffed it into the wall, leaving the stadium section. Uh, he just got a little bit too excited with the electron pedal, just kind of looped it on his own there. Uh, what that did is it put them under like a three-lap, we'll call it three-lap full-course caution, uh, interesting in Formula E, kind of like in uh, American short track racing, they kind of treat like stoppage time in soccer. So they ended up, the original distance of the race was scheduled for 35 laps. Uh, after they went green, they kind of went back to normal running. And then when they hit lap 35, they were given, I believe it was plus two laps to compensate for the period behind the safety car. Um, so after all was said and done, uh, the race ended up finishing with, uh, Verline winning and Buemi coming home second. So 
not too dissimilar to a Formula 1 race where the pole setter ended up winning. Uh, the full finishing order was Pascal Verlein, where Team Tag Porsche, Sebastian Wemmy for Envision Racing, Nick Cassidy for Jaguar, bringing the first of the factory Jaguars home, uh, Maxime Gunther for Maserati Racing, Evans for Jaguar, Jean-Eric Verne with the first of the DS Penske's coming home, Got Hughes in the first of the McLarens. Uh, Stoffel Van Dorm, another um, XF1 dude, coming home in eighth in the second of the DS Penske's. Got Jake Dennis, last year's champion, coming home in ninth for Andretti. His teammate followed him home, Nieto. Uh, Roland in the first of the factory Nissans, followed by his teammate Finestra in 12th. Mortara. Uh, DeFries' teammate this year at Mahindra uh, kind of stomps on him, makes it home in 13th. Sam Bird, a uh, man who's driven every season in Formula E. In the McLaren, coming up 14th. Nick DeFries coming home 15th. Uh, Darluvia in the second of the Maseratis, coming home 16th. We've got Muller in the Apt, coming home 17th. Dan Tictum in the ERT. Uh, the last qualified runner coming home in 18th. We had DNFs for Fringe. Uh, Felix Antonio da Costa, who did in fact punt Lucas Degrassi off on lap three. I believe I missed that earlier. And then uh, we had one non-starter. We had Kamara in the second of the ERTs. And that kind of wraps up the uh, show for Formula One for Formula E down in Mexico City. Okay, we're back at the deserts of Saudi Arabia again. This race is immense with a, with a large number of competitors. It's it's a 13-stage stage race, so uh, as a weekly show, I'm going to do the best to kind of paint the picture of what's happened. What I'm going to do is back up to about Thursday, which is the start of this new 600-kilometer marathon stage where they basically have 48 hours to go 600 kilometers to the empty quarter of Saudi Arabia, and uh, the name, it does what it says on the tin, man, is empty. It It's just an ocean of sand, as far as the eye can see. Looks like, uh, looks like they're getting ready to shoot the third chapter of Dune. Um, so... Entering the stage, we had local boy Yasid Al-Raji leading the way, a guy I completely blew off and forgot to mention in the last week's episode, with the Hilux. And he was nine minutes ahead of, of some of these heavy hitters we talked about before, starting with uh, Nasir Alatia. Carlos Sainz was in third a couple more minutes back. Matthias Ekstrom was in fourth in the second of the Audis up front there at 22.58. A little bit further back in six, we had Stefan Petter Hansel in the third Audi. And then all the way back in ninth place, we had Sebastian Loeb, the crafty Frenchman, uh, tried to pull a fast one. Uh, he did not want to open the road for the desert for the uh, chrono stage. So what he did was he intentionally skipped a waypoint that cost him 15 minutes. But it guaranteed that he wasn't going to have to be first out on the road for the, the big daddy. So, that took us to Thursday, what's that, this Thursday, Friday morning, when they started this, this monster 600k blind fire into the desert. 
unfortunately for the Saudi fans, Al Rashid or Al Rahidi managed to uh, stack it. He he wrecked only 51k in to the 600 kilometer stage, and his day was done. It looked like a a light aircraft crash. He kind of tumbled off the top of a dune and wasn't looking good. Uh, other notable people that crashed out in that, st- not crashed out, but uh, Nasir Al-Atiyah could just completely snapped a front upright, lost like four to five hours in the desert, waiting for spares to be brought in on one of those large lorries that are racing alongside of the event. Uh, Petter Hansel in the third of the Audis was also hamstrung uh, by technology, no less. They have these onboard automated hydraulic jacks, so they can do tire changes. They carry two spare tires. They can do tire changes in like four minutes with, with no pit crew. They just hop out. The problem for him is that the body of the jack had been damaged and all the hydraulic fluid sprayed out. And for better or for worse, they were not carrying a backup manual jack. So he had no way to jack the car up to get the tire off. Then add insult to injury, that hydraulic system is also the power steering system. So uh, a little overly clever engineering kind of let him down out there in the desert. Uh, Science trucked along pretty good. I believe he finished second on the stage. But Sebastian Loeb, his little cheeky move allowed him to follow in the sand tracks of all the other guys up the road and and he managed to win the stage overall and although he started about 50 minutes back he made up a large chunk of that time he made up about 20 minutes over the 600 kilometers to kind of bring him back into contention only time we'll be able to tell whether that was the correct move but uh it definitely helped him out there uh, following that, just kind of results, there was a rest day following that, that was Saturday. So Sunday, today, the, uh, they had a, a stage following that. And then just to, just to show what's going on there, uh, Loeb went ahead and won the stage again today, uh, putting 10 minutes into the race leader, Carlos Sainz, meaning the gap between first and second overall in the Dakar is is 19 minutes. But they still have a couple thousand kilometers to go, and, and in this kind of racing, anything can happen, but it's pretty impressive. Although, if you think 19... If you think a 19-minute gap with uh, 32 hours into the uh, rally, or 32 stage hours into the rally is interesting... The bikes, uh, American Ricky uh, Brabeck is leading the bikes by, are you ready for this, one second over Boswan and Rob Branch. The bike race, well, the, the not-so-secret secret of Dakar is the bikes are quicker than the cars through the desert, and they often are putting on the best race. They're also about 32 hours into the race, and they have a one-second gap, which... Uh, Pretty crazy. Like I said, still got five, six-ish stages to go. Still a couple thousand kilometers left to run, so anything can happen. A couple other notable Americans. Um, there is a class below the Ultimate Car class called the uh, the Challenge class. They're kind of like a 
side by side, but uh, very prepared to a very high level with a lot of bespoke parts on there. Um, uh, Russian drift sensation Eric Gotchel was dominating that class. I believe he won every single stage. He was just just putting time in everybody, but over the rest day, uh, he was found to have an illegal component on the car. He was using a carbon clutch, and uh, for cost control reasons, carbon clutches are uh, illegal in the rules, although he's protested it and got on Twitter, put out a picture, and said there was no regulations for that, but it does appear that he was running an illegal clutch, so he was disqualified from the rally. Bad for him, but good for American Mitch Guthrie, who has inherited the lead of the challenge class. In the second of the side-by-side classes, I just wanted to mention a notable runner. We have Sarah Price, a young American uh, who's also a, a stunt driver by trade. She's running third in that category, only seven minutes off the lead. So very impressive, very impressive run for her. Uh, next week, we'll be covering the conclusion of that rally uh, as it develops. But very interesting stuff. If you haven't had a chance to look at it, get on YouTube. Uh, Dakar puts out some videos. And then in the evening, uh, NBC Sports puts together a nice half-hour package. And it's just brilliant to watch it's unlike any other kind of uh, motorsport you're really going to be able to see anywhere in the world it's a pretty epic adventure all right next up we got news or fluffy garbage i know the big news that everybody wants to talk about is the formula one news but i'm gonna start with irock irock's coming back baby uh, maybe IROC's coming back. Uh, it was announced this week that Ray Evernham with Partners is planning on bringing back the International Race of Champions. Um, this series actually predates the now more common Race of Champions. Uh, that one being the one where they kind of go head to head in the rally cars in the stadium. No, IROC goes all the way back to 1974. And while it did develop into very much an American oval racing series, um, the first year they ran IROC, they were running 911 RSRs. So that's a pretty serious car. And we had the various uh, we had various people from across the racing spectrum winning. We had you know first champion Mark Donahue, amazing driver, sports car driver. You had Bobby Unser. AJ Foyt, Mario Andretti. Uh, after about 1980, it kind of turned into more of a NASCAR-centric thing, but it was an opportunity for different drivers to come in and race. So uh, exciting to see Ray Evernham is running a series currently called SRX, which is kind of like effectively IROC, but the county fairground version, where they, uh, they're all in identically prepared cars, uh, but it's uh, same sort of thing. Uh, if you're in North America, you can catch it. There's a lot of you know IndyCar drivers, sports car drivers, former NASCAR drivers, that kind of thing. So it'll be really exciting to see what comes of that. I'm hoping they kind of go more to the classic routes. Maybe the, I don't think they can afford to buy all those nine, uh, those '74 911 RSRs back because I think those go for about 700k a pop. But uh, 
interesting space to watch. Also, somebody got fired. Gunter Steiner uh, has parted ways with Haas F1. Um, depending on who you listen to, either Gene wasn't happy with him or Gunther wasn't happy with Gene. Um, but the, uh, the end result is Gunther is gone. So uh, we'll have to see what happens with Haas. They're in a weird situation. It looks like Gene Haas is happy making money where he's at. He thinks the team can improve based purely on uh, improving process and finding efficiencies. I think Gunther had a difference of opinion and felt that they could progress with uh, more investment. So we'll see what's going to happen there. Uh, Time will have to tell, but... His replacement is going to be a promotion from within Aoi Komatsu. He was the head of uh, trackside engineering and kind of acted as Gunther's deputy when Gunther was off uh, making funnies for the TV or yucking it up for Drive to Survive. Aomi was taking care of business at the track. That's not to say Gunther didn't have his qualities, but um, like I said, we'll have to watch this space and see how it develops. All right, that's going to bring this week's episode of the Weekly Racing Roundup to a close for the week ending in January 14th, 2024. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, Next week, we've got the end of the Dakar Rally, obviously. Keep your eyes on that. That's been an exciting show. Also, we're going to have a look ahead to the World Rally Championship, which is set for an interesting year as Cali Robin Para, current world champion, has decided to run a partial schedule next year, which pretty much guarantees we'll have a new champion. Also, the roar before the 24 is coming up, so we'll get a little bit of a clearer picture on the pecking order when it comes to IMSA sports cars for this season and For my money, sports cars is one of the hottest, most exciting categories right now. Uh, But we'll dig a little bit more into that next week. Uh, I want to give a thanks to uh, my co-producer, Mr. TV Head Man, for finding all these good little sound nuggets to slip in here. And I just want to say bye and thanks everybody for listening. My name is Racecar Dave and keep the rubber side down.